Hey, you remember how much high school sucked? Do you want to go around those same assholes with alcohol now? You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a test of the emergency broadcast system. And then there were a couple of people who I'm actually friends with who I call up on my cell phone and I don't leave a message. I'm like, good, because they'll call me back. And, they and then they call me back. I'm like, haha, you fucked up. The broadcasters of your area Involuntary cooperation with the FCC Have developed a system to keep you informed In the event of an emergency Maybe he's going to go live in a, in a cramped apartment in Brooklyn With another fat drunk <laughs> former Balding DJ Balding uh. former DJ <laughs> I'm Sanders, and he's Liv, and we are two sorry excuses. Liveroo! What's up, Sam, man? How are you, brother? I'm doing all right, man. Doing all right. Uh, week yeah. 17 of two sorry excuses, although a week late. Yep. My apologies. We didn't miss much last week. Yeah, I, um... I, it just got away from me. It was just one of those weeks, you know, where you turn around and it's already Wednesday and you realize on Thursday you're going to Tennessee to camp out for three days and you still haven't packed yet. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I would have rather have been doing Wednesday this show instead of doing what I was doing on Wednesday. What'd you end up doing? Friggin' my high school I went to, a Catholic boys' school, Jesuit High School of New Orleans. The Jayhawks? Big thing. What's that? The Jayhawks? No, the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays? Yes. The proud alma mater of Will Clark and Harry Cog Jr., etc. Uh, they, they pride themselves on how much money they can raise to help lessen the tuition burden on students, which I can appreciate because I was a work-study student when I was there. But one of the worst parts that they, of that is uh, something called the LEF Drive, a.k.a. the Living Endowment Fund, where guys from each class, like I'm the class in A4, they try to recruit us so we can call other guys from the class in A4 who we haven't talked to in forever and ask them to donate money. <laughs> Which is really uncomfortable and awkward for the most part. Right. But the double, the the extra lure this year was we're having our 20th reunion. Uh, actually, next weekend is the reunion. It's a two-night reunion. First night is stag night, and the second night is a couple's thing. Uh, as I am stag, I will only be attending the stag one, although there is no prohibition to attend both but I really don't need to rehash those memories twice 
<laughs> I think I can get all my reunion, you know, talk out of the way on Friday night. Uh, so they're like, well, since it's that, come in, you can call people and tell them about the reunion. You know, try to make sure we get a good head count, you know. So that was the only thing made more bearable because I've done it before. And, you know, I used to never do any of this, but then a friend of mine, a guy who I'm good friends with the class, he's one of these real, like, you know, he's a professional fundraiser. So he would ask me and I'd feel guilted into it. And this time I felt guilted into it. But, um, you know, it's really hard just calling people, trying to have that small talk. And I always try to cut to the chase. You know, like, you probably haven't even thought about me in 20 years, so you can probably figure out why I'm calling you, you know? So is it, and, set, is it set up like a phone bank? It used to be. Now they just want you to use your cell phones for the most part because they realize most people aren't going to answer the phone from Jesuit High School. <laughs> you know, when you see the caller ID, you're like, just like when I see the Syracuse University caller ID, I'm like, oh, shit, they're trying to raise money. You so know? so where do you go? Do you go and, and hang you out go to somewhere? The high school. You know, they you go in there, they feed you dinner, you know, they get up there, there's always a chair of the a chair of the uh fundraiser uh of the LEF drive. You know, it's always some former alum, you know, some alum who's like successful, who's really into raising money. A guy who's good at producing results basically. This year it was a guy named I kid you not. Snapper Garrison. He, was, <laughs> he, he apparently is Class 81, a very successful attorney, and, and apparently he was quite phenomenal at raising money as part of the other drives they have, like the parents' annual giving drive. But uh, <laughs> the pressure's on a lot of guys to give money because, you know, if you have a son, you're gonna want him get, you're gonna want to make sure he gets into school there, so. So guys with sons are pretty much, they have to give money. Right, know? right, right. But, uh, which leads to a funny story. This was probably like four or five years ago when I did it. I called this guy. Uh, I won't mention his name for, you know, Kate, because I probably just shit him. But I call him, because sometimes you call guys, and they're like, you're going to call guys, and they might not be able to donate right now. You know, maybe times are, you know financial problems, stuff like that. Or some guys just don't even want to be called again. And they'll tell you to take my name off the list, you know? Right. So I call one guy. I'm like, you know, uh, I'm like, uh, call and raise money, you know, LEF drive, you know, it's coming. They're always going to hit you up for money. Because Jesuits, like, they're experts at hitting you up for money. They're great at getting donations. <laughs> <laughs> Like, they will stalk you every step of the way. Like, the reunion, like, they're, they're still out there trying to track down the, the missing members of the class. It's ridiculous because they want to get you there and they want to make sure you had a good experience. It's like, I don't know, part of that's like calling up people. It's like, hey, you remember how much high school sucked? Do you want to go around those same assholes with alcohol now? You know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so anyway, back to the story of called. I was like, well, and the guy's like, he starts going into it. He's like, well, I have two daughters. I was like, yeah, I understand, man. You got family support. And maybe you can't uh, afford donations. He's like, no, that's not it. He's like, 
I have two daughters. Why do I have to give any money to that school? They're not going to go there. And I just started cracking up. And I was like, well, you give something. He's like, yeah, 25 bucks. <laughs> and that's my favorite story about raising money. You know, even after that, he still had to give 25 bucks. Um, yeah, why would you give any money if you, you know, if you had two daughters? I completely agree with him. How big of a, a, a an alum? How big of a school is it? How many were in your graduating class? Uh, what did we have? I think technically our class was supposed to be like two thirty seven, which is a big school for all guys. You know, it's five grades. It ended up being like two twenty seven because there was a big scandal. Uh, my class is infamous because there was a big tree cutting scandal where this group of kids, as part of their quote unquote senior prank, came and. Came all drunk, came to the campus all drunk and um, cut down a bunch of trees. And it was a big hubbub. Police were there, you know. They did like, you know, thousands upon thousands of dollars worth of damage. So a lot of other people looked down upon our class, you know. It's all this big, you know. I mean, my biggest problem with the tree cutting thing was that as far as pranks go, it was terrifically unclever, you know. It was a it it was a tumor's corner type of deal. Yeah, like it was just a dick move. <laughs> you know? I mean, it was like a prank is supposed to be kind of funny. Nothing was funny about walking in when we came in that day and all the trees were cut down. <laughs> it was like, oh well, the guys that were involved is like, oh, that's what these guys would do. They're a bunch of meatheads, you know. It is something stupid and predictable, you know. <laughs> so that's so, it. That was your legacy. Yeah. So a few years ago, while they're trying to get the class of '94 back in the fold, they had this new parking lot, and they wanted to do landscaping and pay for trees. So like, why don't the class of '94 raise money to pay for trees and shrubbery and landscaping? You get it? <laughs> you know. <laughs> so now the new landscaping in the new parking lot area is. It has a plaque on it from the class of 94. <laughs> but what about the kids who, who who actually cut down the trees? Did they participate? Well, that? Yeah, well, they have one guy in our class who's probably, well, I wouldn't say polarizing because polarizing people usually draw people in the middle each way. Uh, he's just <laughs> the biggest asshole ever. <laughs> So there was this whole email string trying to raise money. So this asshole hits on the reply, oh, like, oh, this is so fucking stupid. You know, we cut down the trees. He wasn't one of the tree cutters. He's like, but this is so stupid, blah, blah, blah. Dude, right away, people start donating. They're like, well, if that guy is against it, we're all for it. <laughs> and what? we meet, like, because we were really pressing to meet the, the goal for what we needed. We... We went way above and beyond the goal. We were able to get some nicer trees and stuff. <laughs> so the other night when I was there, I was like, uh, I was like, we we should call everybody up and say that uh, say that such and such thinks this is really stupid, and you know, giving any money is really stupid. Maybe people want to donate like a thousand dollars a piece or something. <laughs> did they give you? Uh, did they give you food and booze or anything? What's that on uh, Wednesday? Oh, yeah, they feed you dinner, and there's coolers full of drinks. Um, there's bottles of wine, and then, you know, there's a 
but when you're eating dinner down there in the um the student commons area they had all kinds of coolers and a couple of coolers full of beer then you go up to the room where you where you make the calls um in saint ignatius hall or whatever and right outside there's freaking three or four coolers of various drinks two of them are just full of beers and you can if you want you can sit there and and get a real nice buzz on you know i don't do that i drink a couple of beers and that's it you know how many but i mean how many guys chance, from you could go do it. how many guys from your class were there making calls it was four of us it was uh one, one of the guys that cut down one of the trees some of the trees <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is funny that he's all like Mr. Rara, you know, like he was one of the reunion organizers, you know, I just, I don't know, I find that all absurd that, that that dude is so like, you know, yes, Mr. Jesuit, you know? Yeah, I guess, uh, what's the old saying? A, uh, a tree can change its leaves? <laughs> I don't know, but... If that's not a saying, that should be. Yeah. All I know about trees are, uh, you know, was it what Biff would say? He kept screwing it up. Make like a tree and get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I was doing on Wednesday, which was significantly less cooler than this. I didn't even make that many calls because we're sitting there because no one wants to, wants to do it. And by the time... See, they do a fall drive and they do a spring drive. Most of the good people that give money have already given in the fall, you know? Right. Like, they have the cards broken up. There's ones. Those guys already gave the money. The two cards are guys who have given money a few times in the past few years, but not the most recent year. And then the threes are guys that just, you know, you can't get in touch with them. They never give money. They're basically, you know, trying to be as much on the DL as possible. So when you go in the spring, it sucks anyway because it's... That's what you're dealing with. And then you're going over, it's like, really, this guy? You know, I think I might have had one class with that guy and said three words to him ever. I can't call that guy out of the blue. They're you like, know? And that basically works for about, you know, at least 50 guys in that stack of cards. They're like the Glengarry leads. Yeah. And then there were a couple of people who I'm actually friends with who I call up on my cell phone. And I don't leave a message. I'm like, good, because they'll call me back. And, it, and then they call me back. I'm like, ha-ha, you fucked up. Now <laughs> <laughs> you got to donate money. <laughs> uh, uh. So I definitely got a couple of donations. And I think I, I think I got four or five people give money out of the eight numbers I called while I was there <laughs> for two hours. But whatever, it's done. I feel like I've done my due diligence. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm not even married. Why the hell am I am I doing this? Just because I got this guilt complex on me. Yeah, how do you get how do you get tabbed in the first place? See, this is what happened. When they were trying to organize the 15th reunion, it might have been actually before that. See, the guy who I'm friends with, he works for the school that I went to law school, where I went to law school. And his office was right was in one of the buildings right across from the law school, and I would see him. So we started BSing again all the time, you know. And then he called me real desperately, wants to come there and do it. And I said, yeah, sure, why the hell not? I might as well give something back. And then he got in touch with me to help organize their union. Then they started this whole thing, but we want uh, 
committees for the classes. Why don't you be on a committee? You know, it's like a group of like 10 guys and most of us don't have anything to do with much to do with like they had all these noble ideas like we'll have meetings every now and then and we'll and we'll get gatherings of the class to do stuff you know and you know a few years ago we we did like a crawfish boil back at the campus you know and walked around the school and that was about the high point of getting everybody back together and it's all petered off until this year with the reunion so that's how i got roped into that so I'm always on this short email list of the people that are supposed to be on this committee that never meets or does anything, but we've been, uh, we are inextricably linked on this email list that constantly comes, we really need people tonight, you know, so I'm like, fuck, I'll just go and do it. I'm sick of getting the emails. <laughs> yeah. See, and the guy that got me involved, we were talking about that, we were like, they got to find new people because it's. The same damn five or six people constantly. Yeah. See, I don't want to say I've I've managed to avoid any of that with my high school because I, I didn't make a conscious effort to stay off the radar. I just happened to be off the radar. And I went to similar, you know, all boys high school, similar size. Um Yeah. The um the De La Salian brothers um live on the campus, teach on the campus. Um, you know, yeah. it's it's very similar, you know, yeah, kind I mean, of pedigree. Yeah, very much the same, you know. But we, um, I, I don't get any calls, uh, any fundraising drives, and, and the school's always doing construction. They're always raising money for the endowment. Well, you um, know, they're probably calling your parents all the time. Your parents have the decency, A, to not answer the phone, and B, to give out your forwarding information. I'll tell you what, that is probably true because my parents are like um, are, are like hermits when it comes to um, the telephone ringing. They gather around the caller ID to identify the number, and then they debate whether or not they know the number. And if they decide that they don't know the number, they just let it ring because they assume that it's some type of telemarketer. But yeah. Their phone is constantly ringing off the hook. I guess with with four kids at like, you know, what we went to like seven different institutions between yeah. high school and colleges. Um, they're, you know, they get bombarded with that stuff. So I guess I gotta give them a thank you next time I see them. Yeah, that's the thing. Just like, you know, it's always to my the same number I've had my whole life. They're calling, so I'll never give them my cell phone number. But the guys. The guys, some of the guys there, though, that do the calls now know my cell phone number. But I know if I see a certain name calling my cell phone number, I'm like, well, I don't talk to that guy socially. Right. <laughs> you know, so I know it's them. And they'll be the message. I'm like, just leave me alone. I'll donate money. You know, I just don't even want to have the conversation. I, I would much rather get something in the mail. Um, I'm constantly donating to whatever, March of Dimes or American Cancer Society or, you know, yeah. I'll get the thing and they'll say, can you make a donation? 10 bucks, 25 bucks, 100 bucks. You know, here's a dime. You know, can you donate $10? Yeah. So, um, you know, I have no problem doing that. But, you know, when it comes to phone solicitation, I certainly wouldn't want to be getting those calls if I were to get them. And if I was getting them, I wouldn't be answering them. Although, I have no problem giving money to either either my high school or, or Syracuse. 
Um, yeah. You know, I credit both of those for, you know, different things in, you know, my personal or academic development. So I would like to see other kids be able to take advantage yeah. of that. But when's it ever a good time to be giving somebody else money? Well, that's the problem. Like, I gave money to Syracuse last year, and actually it was the first time I ever gave money because I, I didn't give that much, but I gave what was a decent donation for me. And it was the first time in my life I felt like I actually had some money to spare. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is always the hardest thing because I do feel grateful, but I still wish I didn't have to get the phone calls, you know? And one part of me always thinks I should just answer the phone just to tell them never call me again, but I'm going to keep writing checks. You know? Right. And and Jesuit High School, like you're talking about the mail, they don't spare expense on that either. They get they come at you every which way. And the day they got my email address, I knew I screwed up that day. Because <laughs> now I get the emails for soliciting donations. And I'm like, just let me write my little check every year and we'll be done. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's like, you don't need to keep spending whatever the cost it is for mass mailings on me and all this other stuff. Just let me, is there any way I can opt out? Guarantee you'll get a, you'll get a donation every year. You know, it's not going to get me on any list of special donors like the alumni club or honor, you know, the, the president's board or whatever, but but it's a donation. If I can just opt out of the whole solicitation aspect of it. No you know, that's what I want. No brick in the vestibule with Matt Livicary's name on it? Yeah, yeah, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> the one thing that they publish, you know, all the people what people give, you know, if people decide to give their names, and most people do, because why the hell are you giving money unless people are gonna know about it, you know? Right. <laughs> totally. And you see people like, man, that guy's doing really well. How the fuck did he give $10,000? <laughs> There's definitely one guy like that. I'm like, I'm like, where the hell did this guy make all his money? Yeah, Because that's a ridiculous amount of money to donate, you know, to a high school. Yeah, right. And to do that every year. I'm like, what the frig? You know, because that's more than the tuition. Yeah. <laughs> It blows me away. I'm like, man, whatever I did, I chose the wrong field. I should be doing whatever that guy did. Um, what was the tuition when you went? It was about probably 3000 something. Now it's se- about 7900 I think it is nowadays. Yeah. Which, I- as far as, ca- as schools, A, it's going to be cheaper than probably the school you went to. Because down here, there's a lot more Catholic schools. There's a more competitive market for it. But as far as Catholic schools in the area go and private schools in the area go, it's one of the cheapest, too. And one of the reasons is because they're always begging for money. <laughs> yeah. When I went, I think tuition was around 3000 or so. Um, but now it's up to like $15,000. Yeah, that's crazy. That is nuts. Yeah. That is crazy. I mean, they got schools, because the other day I saw a list of all the current, you know, tuitions at all the schools. The top school, the top price school in the city is about, it's about $22,000, a year right now, which is obscene. Oh, that, that's crazy. Well, and I also think it's crazy because 
Yeah, it's my high school, but I think I can safely say it's the best high school in the city, and it cost a third of that. Yeah. You know? There's... I I see no reason. I don't know what you're getting out of the $23,000 high school. You know? I went on a job interview where the guy interviewing me actually said um, about this school compared to the school I went to. Because New Orleans is a small city. Your high school comes up frequently in conversation. Right. When people ask you where you went to school, they're talking about high school down here. Okay. And he's like, you know, I'm not from here originally, but I sent my kids to Jesuit. He's like, but I used to do recruitment for SMU because he was an SMU alum. And he's like, uh, I'd get around and talk with these admissions guys. And he's like, we'd get together. And there was a guy from a very prestigious university who said he quit recruiting kids from that school, the $23,000 school, because it's a very prestigious school. So kids come in there with really, you know, great resumes. He's like, but we got a few of those guys, and and none of them could ever cut it at our school. He's like, but kids from Jesuit, they always cut it. So I, I recruit those kids, and we don't deal with the with the other kids anymore. And I was like, all right, that's all I need to know. That $23,000 was a waste of money. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, hey. so enough about high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More about NASCAR. What about NASCAR? It's where I went this weekend. Oh, is that where you, where you were? Bristol? Yeah, I went to Bristol. My um, sister's nice. uh, fiance had his bachelor party this weekend, and um, I get along really well with him, and I get along re- really well with my sister. Um, but I think I might have been like a last minute invite or. I rounded out the numbers or somebody had dropped out and I was B-list, whatever. But I I was really interested in going, one, um, because it was going um, to a NASCAR race in in Bristol, Tennessee, which would have been like, you know, the the motherland of the redneck universe. Yeah. And two, the plan was to take an RV from D.C. to... Uh, Bristol, Tennessee, which is about a six-hour drive, which I didn't have to make. So it was six hours of sitting in an RV boozing, and I was totally up for that. And <laughs> we were going to be camping out. So I hadn't been camping in a while. I had some camping gear, uh, so I was totally down for it. And it ended up being everything you could expect from a NASCAR camping trip in Tennessee. It was, you know, redneck wall to wall. It was boozing nonstop. And the highlight of the trip was this game called Sparks. So we're loading up the RV, and uh, the best man who, I don't know if he volunteered or he got roped into it, or it's just etiquette that the best man's got to do all the the shit um, work. He ended up driving the RV the entire way down and the entire way back in a snowstorm. So this guy did yeoman's effort, and um, he's the only guy in the bridal part. In the there's only a best man and a bridesmaid or a maid of honor. So like the bridal party's really small, so he couldn't even pass it off to like other groomsmen. But he um, 
we drove down, or we're, we're loading up the RV before we drive down, and he's got this huge pylon, like a three-foot-high telephone pole. Something yeah. that you would put, like, as a mooring or, um, you know, at the end of your driveway. Something, you know, pretty substantial. Yeah. And um, I'm like, what? what is that? He's like, oh, Eric, um, my brother-in-law, or my sister's fiance. Yeah, Eric, Eric wanted me to pick up uh, a, a pylon. I don't know, he, he needs it for something. So we throw in the back of the RV. We get down there. Eric makes a beeline for the pylon and says, make sure you put this in a good spot. Don't put any other tents around it. Make sure it's away from the fire, etc. And nobody thinks anything of it. We set up the camp. We start boozing. It's starting to get dark. And he goes, all right, let's play some sparks. And he whips out a hammer, a claw hammer, and a box of nails. And he starts to drive in a bunch of nails in... Uh, in circular fashion in this um, in this pylon and the object of the game while you're standing around drinking in the dark is to take a hammer and hammer in someone else's nail and the first one uh, the last man standing wins sparks wins the game but if you miss on your hit, you have to drink, and if you if you Wait, don't, so get... you're just blindly wailing away at a nail. Exactly, but if there's ten guys, there's ten nails, and each of us has a nail. So you've got a nail, I've got a nail. Brian Peters has a nail. Mike Peters you have has to hit a your nail. own nail. No, you hit somebody you else's hit... nail. So somebody's now next to you, you're trying to hit, basically. Basically, but their strategy, because you don't want to hit the guy next to you because he's too close and he can have a good enough hit at yours, and then it essentially just becomes a race between you two to see Okay, who... so, the, so whoever's nail you hit, they need <coughs> that person needs to reciprocate and try to hit your, your nail? Nope, not necessarily, but it makes sense that if you hit my nail, I want to hit your nail. There's varying yeah. degrees of strategy. Yeah, okay. A lot more than you would think out of a, a redneck game that all it has is a piece of wood and a hammer and a nail. But, of course, as drinking games go, we upped the stakes as the night went on. But unlike other drinking games, whether you're playing Beer Pong or Beirut or, you know, Beer Die, this, the primary instruments in this game are a hammer and nails. So, so it's inherently dangerous. It's inherently dangerous. So we went, um, in a couple rounds, we went to left hand only. Oh, okay. And then we went to um, moonshine. So if you missed your nail, you had to drink moonshine. Then if you lost the game, the left-handed game that you were drinking moonshine in, if you lost... You had to eat a piece of fruit out of the moonshine. It degenerated faster than anything that I'd been involved in, but it was more fun than almost any other drinking game that I've ever played, despite the fact that it was pure southern redneck. It was unbelievable. So it was a good time, but needless to say, after a weekend of swinging a hammer and drinking moonshine and sleeping on the ground um, for three days, we were pretty beat up. And we had to drive home in a snowstorm, so it was pretty, 
It was pretty brutal. But overall, it was a good weekend, but I was out of touch for the entire time. I didn't watch any of the ACC. Excuse me. I didn't watch any of the ACC tournament. I didn't have, you know, any information on any of the games other than, um, you know, a couple alerts that I got, um, you know, that we had lost to NC State in our first game. So what ended up happening? Just typical? Yeah, you know, CJ had a very awful game. You know, that's what it comes down to. Because Jeremy Grant played well. Uh, Tyler Ennis, of course, played well. Um, but we shot friggin', we shot like 20-something percent in the first half, and we were down by three at halftime. Obviously, if we've been, sh- if we would have shot 40 percent, we would have won that game by 10 points. We can't afford to, for CJ Fair to have a bad game as long as Trevor Kenny's going to continue to suck, and he continued to suck, basically. And that's um, it. He just can't get off the schneid, huh? Yeah, and Christmas got in foul trouble early. They put Keita in. Keita, Keita played terribly. Keita was just awful. You know, it was... And we still should have won the game. I mean, look at it. You can look at it from that glasses half full view that, like, as awful as we were playing against a team with quality talent, not to mention the ACC Player of the Year, we still had a pretty damn good chance to win it. The sequence of events at the end of the game when we get the ball back with 24.8 seconds or 24.6 seconds left in the game, down by three, and Tyler, I believe it was Tyler, yeah, drove to the hoop to make the quick two. He missed it. Jerry Grant tries to slam the rebound back in, misses it. Well, we proceed to get the ball Attempt the three. We get the ball back, attempt another three. Get the ball back again, attempt another three. Then they attempted another three. Didn't make one of them. And then, you know, as CJ tracked down the last one, his foot was out of bounds. And NC State got the ball back, and there was 1.3 seconds left on the clock. And the game was over. Oh, man. Like, at no point did anybody think, oh, we should just try to put in a two real quick, you know? Right. Like, there was still loads of time to to get a foul and make that three-pointer literally the last shot of the game. You know? Right. It was ridiculous. It, mo- it was the most inane sequence of events uh, I've seen in a long time since the last time I saw us lose a game that we shouldn't have lost. <laughs> and that's got to just be so maddening to watch those games where – it's a sequence of events that that doesn't need to play out like that. Yes, and I understand. Like people are like, well, they had two timeouts running the I can understand not calling the timeout thing a little bit because you're scrambling. But somebody, because there was a point where where one of our guys got the rebound right under the hoop, you know, and yet dribbled it out and tossed it out for a three. You know that 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 missed terribly. That we were just. You know, going back up right there. Maybe you get fouled. Maybe you get the two point. Whatever. It would have been a better decision than trying to drop you. They have to know how much time is on the clock. It was ridiculous. It was. Oh, it was frustrating. It was. And the worst part about it, I was sitting in this bar watching it because I randomly, 
Uh, randomly ran into a Syracuse alum. <laughs> Lee Zarek? No. Uh, so, the Sunday before last, the day we played Florida State, right? Uh, the day the clocks changed, uh, I had to bring my niece out to... Uh, she's a junior zookeeper, so I had to bring her to the zoo for her junior z- zookeeping uh gig out there, you know? <laughs> Her shift. Uh, all right. So I hit right next to the zoo, behind the zoo, you know, it's on the riverfront uh, of New Orleans, you know? And uh, they have this park that that the people that own the zoo own, you know, called The Fly. And it's a really nice park. And when it's a really beautiful day like that, you know, it's it's very popular. But it was still around, you know, at that time it was probably like, I guess it must have been around noon, yeah, because it was the day the clock changed. So a lot of people weren't out there yet. So I went up there. So I took my dog with me, and I went. We walked up there, and then I set up a chair, was just sitting out there with the dog in my chair, hanging out, you know, just looking out, enjoying the weather. And eventually it started filling up with people. And I was sitting there following the game on Twitter because it wasn't on TV here or anything. So I didn't mind sitting there following on the computer, you know, on the phone. Right. And I was, it was probably 15 minutes before I left because there was very little time left in the game. And uh, this guy and his girlfriend, you know, they come walking right in front of me. You know, of all the people they had to walk in front of. (laughs) And they walk in front of me and they see my dog there. Um, I go, he's cute. And then the guy, Looks at my dog. He has a Syracuse collar, and and the guy's like, "Oh, is uh, is he a Syracuse fan?" I'm like, "Yeah, he's a, he's a fan of whatever team I'm a fan of," and he's like, "Oh, okay." And I just left it. He's like, "Oh, well, I, I graduated from there." Yeah, I was like, "Oh, really?" I'm like, "What year?" He's like, "2003," and um, so I'm like, "Yeah, well, I went there." Blah blah blah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, and he was from Alabama originally. I'm like, well, that's really w- weird to be from Alabama and have gone to Syracuse. Yeah, right. And uh, I was like, it was random for me. There was four people in the freshman class from the city of New Orleans. I'm like, Alabama, that's really weird. Because uh, at least, like, we're a real city. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like fucking Alabama with, you know, where they got Birmingham or something. He was from Huntsville. Um, uh and then he's like, well, what do you do for the games? I'm like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, normally I watch them at home by myself. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you do? He's like, oh, I try to watch them with her. You know, she'll, you know, his girlfriend. He's like, she'll watch them with me. He's like, you go anywhere for him? I'm like, no, not really. He's like, well, here, man. Here, shoot me a text right now. And um, maybe we can hang out and watch a game one day. So then, you know, shout, I was like, all right. And I get a text from him later in the week or on Friday. He's like, well, you want to watch a game tonight? You know, you want to go somewhere? And I was like, sure. Because I was like, I don't want to be a dick, you know. So um, so two people who I've never hung out with in my life <laughs> went and met them at the bar. You know, went to the bar and they showed up and met me to watch the game. Which made it that much more awkward and uncomfortable to watch that game. <laughs> you should have called the guy that you stalked on River Road that morning. 
Oh, yeah. Well, that's what I was thinking. Of. Well, I remember I told the guy at one point, I was like, well, now I know there's at least four alum in this city. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's the Young Alumni Club. Yeah. And I was like, damn it. I guess I'm, well, I was telling someone earlier this week, one of our loyal listeners, I was telling her, I guess now I feel obligated to get in touch with the Alumni Association. Yeah, I still haven't taken the bull by the horns, but I'm like, all right, if there's four of us, there has to be eight of us. You know, Ugh. I just don't want to have to watch games with these people every week. <laughs> but there, but every one of them like has the same story about how they're how they wish there was an alumni association. And they're all like lost babes in the woods, you know. <laughs> all of them, but Lee Zurich. Uh, and for the record, I stuck that guy a magazine. Uh, on magazine, not River Road. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that, that just kind of fell. Uh, that guy was sort of like fell into my lap the way I fell into the guy at the Fly's lap the other day. Just happened to be passing and noticed the Syracuse stuff. Right, right. Uh, but I mean, he was a nice enough guy. You know, yeah, like, I, uh, did you end up having a good that? enough time? Yeah, I mean, it was fine. He bought me some beers. I wasn't drinking heavily because I was driving, but, you know, he he was fine. Him and a girlfriend. Uh, he's very into following all the Twitter action, even as he actually watches the game. All right, that's annoying. So he kept going off. on. He kept, like, scrolling at his phone the whole time, you know. Um which and I've done but, that and I followed I followed the Syracuse Twitter action. The problem is is that there's you know only a handful of folks who are tweeting legitimate information but they're retweeting each other's information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I only I follow very few people involved. I'm not following anybody who claims some affiliation with Syracuse. Like I'll follow the news the best, the people that write about basketball for the Syracuse newspapers. Yep. You know, like Syracuse Post Standard or whatever. Yep. Because they're always up to it. Um, the DO Sports, I follow. Uh, Troy Dunes, I'll follow him. And uh, and I do follow Derek Coleman because he's always fun and he's always watching. Oh, he you tweets know, a lot? Oh, Derek Coleman's tweets constantly during the games. Oh, no way. Yeah, like he's always uh not he's not as frequent as like the other bloggers, but he he's he's watching every game. You know, he he is he is always at he's a He's a basketball junkie to begin with. Yeah, and he's great, but he's like he's like uh, the Wednesday's child of the Syracuse basketball program because he's everywhere, but somebody has to be supporting him, or you know he's getting you know a lot of a lot of stuff on the cuff. Because I've run into him a couple times, especially uh, during March Madness or those St. Yeah, John's games. At the tournament. And um, no matter what bar I go into, and and it's not the same one. There's a bunch of bars around yeah. Madison Square Garden. He'll make his way in there, and he's he's congenial. He's friendly. He'll hold court. Yeah. You know, not yeah. a not a question about it. But. Um, People are always just feeding him drinks, feeding him food, you know, just kind of. 
I remember when I was a student there, it was probably like junior, senior year, and he was in town. I was like, Coleman's in 44s. And I went in there, and he was just at that, you know, that back corner of 44s. Yep. Right when you, you know, when you go in, you go straight to the back corner. He was sitting back there. He had the bottle of Jack Daniels, and he was just pouring 20 shots at a time and handing them out. And I'm like, I'm going to go sidle up next to Derek Coleman. And that's what I did. Because I was like, that's awesome. Terry Coleman's getting me fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) And that's when he, you know, he just, you know, and even though he had his bad reputation as like malcontent, even though it's worse because that's when he was in the NBA still, a guy just likes to have a good time, man. He he wasn't being a dick. He was freely handing anybody and everybody booze. He didn't care who you were. Yeah, he's just a, he's just a, uh, he's a man of the people. Yeah, and I guess listen, if you're gonna if you're gonna earn that reputation, and you're gonna burn through whatever he burnt through 80, 90 million bucks in his career. Yeah. If there's one place that you can you know always call home, it's got to be Syracuse, and you know they've certainly treated him well and he takes advantage of it so well did he definitely blow through everything yeah he ended up well i mean i guess it's semantics but he did end up um filing for bankruptcy a couple years ago yeah they all do warren sap filed for bankruptcy and he's still on tv all the time yeah so but um well i i mean i heard rumors that he was in some business ventures that were fairly successful but i don't know if they really were you know, maybe Dave Bing's bankrolling them since they're both in Detroit. <laughs> they're both Detroit guys. Yeah, I mean, I know he's a big supporter of of Bing. You know, but um, but with that being said, and guys in hard times, like you, did you watch the Thirty for Thirty yet? No, not yet, not yet. Uh, well, you definitely need to watch that because it's very pro Syracuse. But um, they don't really give much time to Derek Coleman, but they do a lot on Pearl Washington. You know, and Pearl's a guy, you know, he only played the NBA for three years. You know, he's he's not wildly successful financially, but that's a guy that would never have to buy a meal in any room where Syracuse alumni are. Yeah. You know? He, um, for a while, and I don't know what he's up to now, but um, I remember back in the early 90s he had some position with the city's recreation department i don't know if he was um you know the director of of parks and recreation or um if he just had kind of an honorary title but i remember uh dave the wave dave the bottle guy yep yep i remember he was um he had some you know run-ins with him or interactions with him um you know at some point that uh, Dave was able to chronicle for me. Um, mm. I don't remember the particulars of it, um, but it was a particularly entertaining conversation, as you can imagine. Of course. But I do remember he was still Pearl at... Washington <laughs> Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do think he... Was... Virtually had, he had unfortunate run-ins with other people. Who's that, Dave? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why... At least from Klaus's stand, you know he, you know he was a terrible drunk, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a bad and apparently problem. Apparently, he used to get fucked up, and occasionally he would like get a, get the shit beaten out of him by people. Oh, I never heard that. I knew that he. I knew that came th- from Klaus that he had been jumped a few times. You know, like I mean, he. Yeah, I could see it happen. You know, drunks get beaten up a lot. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I think he. You know, I mean, 
he was a nice guy. I don't think he was starting crap with people, but maybe he was. Maybe he's a different guy when he was wasted, but I know the Dallas wouldn't let him drink in there, you know? Yeah. I'd been out boozing with him um, a, a couple times back in, you know, the heyday. That was when he was hopping between Fagan's and O&O, and then when yeah. Lucy's became Lucy's. Like, he was working at both places. And um, my brothers, that's Klaus and Dave the Bottle Guy, are um, two of my brother's favorite characters because (laughs) it was at that point when, for some reason, I I don't know if we had run through our social circle or we felt the need to expand it to, you know, to beyond our peers, but we spent a lot of time hanging out with... um, um, with Klaus and and Dave the Bottle Guy in in yeah. like odd arrangements. So when my brothers would come up, we'd end up being. I remember being at 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 Lucy's, and Dave had on this down jacket, but all the down was sunken around the waist. So it was like <laughs> he had on this jacket, <laughs> yeah, with an inner tube around it. It turns out he threw it in the wash, and, and I guess you're not supposed to wash uh, down jackets. So um, he spent the day getting drunk with his down jacket, and his inner tube down jacket. Um, <laughs> and my brothers still talk about that. So um, yeah, he he had a pretty he had a pretty big drinking problem. I could I could see him just kind of stepping out. And getting he into like, little trouble. He looked like an old boxer. Yeah, yeah, like the eyes. Yeah, he was a little I, punchy. I, I, didn't he? I, did he? Did he have a steel plate in his head, or did we just think he had a steel plate? In his head? <laughs> That's a good no, question. No, I'm being serious. I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm concurring that that was either a reality or an urban lore that we had that we had made up. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, but I guess uh, he's, I guess he's not around anymore. I guess he had really? kind of either moved on or or he was, was from the town of Camden. He was, yeah, Camden, New York. I think, right? Oh, I didn't even realize that. Well, the only reason I know that because I think it was Guy I was telling, like because Baltimore played at Camden Yards, <laughs> <laughs> and you know he was very simple. <laughs> on graduation day. Um, or, or one of those days leading up to graduation day, he had, you know, we'd made eye contact across the bar and he kind of came over and, you know, gave me a heartfelt handshake and a pat on the, on the shoulder and said, I'll tell you what, Sanders, I'm going to miss the boys from 1104. (laughs) (laughs) I said, I will too, Dave. I will too. (laughs) Those poor guys. Uh, he, uh. See, what I always found funny was he was the bottle guy, and he did all this nasty, disgusting uh, cleanup he would have to do. And he made the Bloody Mary mix. Right. (laughs) 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 He did the nasty, filthiest job, and he makes the Bloody Mary mix. (laughs) (laughs) Dave, did you wash your hands? You know? (laughs) Right. And there was, like, this big secret, like this... Big guarded secret to what Dave put in the Bloody Mary mix. Do you remember all that BS? Yeah, I do. I do. To yeah, some extent, like the Coca Cola formula, you know. Right. It's still well guarded. Yeah. It's still well guarded. I was up there one weekend, and Mike Vincent, uh, I had to head into work early because it was his 
job to make up the the Bloody Mary mix. Oh, we might need to kidnap Mike Vincent and beat him up to to get the mix's recipe. Well, um, I talked to him a couple weeks ago, and he is making waves about moving to New York City. So um, if that happens, I'll be in much closer contact with him, and we'll see what I can get out of him. Poor Roscoe. <laughs> when, when Roscoe first got there, all he was trying to do was get out of the shadow of Guy Vincent, yet he's walking in his footprints now. <laughs> Maybe he's gonna go live in a in a cramped apartment in Brooklyn with another fat drunk <laughs> former balding DJ, balding uh, former DJ. <laughs> uh, good luck, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> hey, speaking of Fagans, um, I don't know if you've seen this making the rounds, but uh, Business Insider put out the 31 best college bars in the U.S. Yep. And uh, I don't know what their criteria was. I don't know how they narrowed the list. I don't know why they picked 31. I don't know what their geographic footprint was. But regardless, uh, Fagan's Cafe and Pub uh, in Syracuse, New York, 34 South Cross Ave, made the list. That's one thing I had an issue with. Let me look that up. I thought Fagan's address was different. But whatever. But the one thing I have to say is, I've never heard of Business Insider until Facebook existed and it became a dispensary of list. Oh, uh, interesting. Okay. Maybe that's... Uh, I had thought that this was a reputable uh, a reputable news outlet, but you no, know, it's it's a Facebook shill? No, I mean, it might be, but it's 734 South Crest. All right. I thought that... I knew it was 7-something. I saw it, I was like, that our address isn't thirty-four South Cross. Hey, do you remember uh, do you remember the phone number? Yeah, four seven two four seven two. I used to, have to call it all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of the few phone numbers I remember. That and my parents' phone number. That's it. I remember the phone number at eleven oh six street when I lived there, four two three three eight four nine. Yeah, I bet that was the same when I was there. I don't I don't remember that. But I don't remember the phone number to last year. I lived on Comstock Street. But, yeah, it probably was the same. Let me Google that number. See <laughs> well, if that's still in use. Here's what the, um, here's what the write-up is. Fagan's wins out, uh, w- wins out over rival campus bars for its unbeatable drink specials, touch of class, and the guarantee you'll hear wagon wheel blaring over the stereo every night. Now, that... That's got to be a Guy Vincent special right there. That Yeah, Wagon Wheel. Darius, Darius Rucker or Old Crow Medicine Show. Either Old one. Old Crow Medicine Show, that's why I figured it would have been. But I would say either one is on Guy Vincent's short playlist. Um, I think Roscoe's playing Wagon Wheel. I, I think they're all in cahoots in terms of, of mm. what, the, what the musical flavor there is these days. But... Um, it, that's just a sign of the times, man, how things change, you know, yeah. where, you know, not so long ago, but I guess now, nowadays it is so long ago that wagon wheel has replaced my way and even, uh, Mac the knife as staples, which I never well, understood. When's the last time you've been there? Last year. What did they play at the end of the night? They don't, they haven't played Mac the knife and my way in, in, in years. Well, that's really lame then. 
Because it's not like it was contemporary music for us. I want to say 10 years, maybe. Um, Really? Definitely coincides with the closing of the DJ booth. That certainly had something to do with it. Yeah, that's kind of depressing when when the DJing duties were handed over to a computer. And we had we had a DJ Tuesday through Sunday. Monday night was the only night we didn't have. Um, yeah, Monday night. I used to work Monday nights back there, you know, because that was the the bouncer slash barback gig where you just hung out and you drink beers, right? And just sit there and get to play whatever music you want yourself, right? That was a pretty good shift. You probably made pretty good money. Yeah, I used to always get a decent tip out. Yeah. Um, but oh for man, s- this is insane, dude! I ran that number. Three one five four two three three eight four nine at the very bottom of the first page of Google results is Matthew Livercary, age thirty seven. No, no way. No, so it's Matthew Livercary. He has lived in Metairie, Syracuse, New York, Charlestown, Mass, New Orleans, Louisiana. Well, Mike Peters has to be on that list then, because I'm sure That's the phone insane. was registered in Mike Peters' name. Yeah, because I used to have the phone bill in my name. That's crazy. Yeah, it's insane, man. It tells me I'm related to people who I don't think I'm related to, though. <laughs> Maybe the internet knows more about my family than I do. Hmm. That's crazy. <laughs> so it was nice to see um, Fagans get some props. No, like I, I was mocking Business Insider just because I had never heard of it before. Right. Um, but apparently it is a legitimate thing because I'm on their website now. But with that, nevertheless, when I saw Alex Scalisi post that yesterday, right away I shared it. Right, you know, it didn't st- it didn't prevent me from from sharing it since it was good news for Fagans. I automatically knew it was because why would Alex Scalisi care about the top thirty one college bars if Fagans wasn't on the list? Right. Um, they also did you go through the list? Did you get a chance to look at it? Yeah, 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 I did. So my dad went to Penn. Um, so that that representative of Philadelphia, the Smoky Joes, um, in Philadelphia, is. Is a legit bar. That's a uh, okay. that's like a U Penn bar. That's like the real deal. My dad went there when he was in school. People are still going there, um, but a lot of a lot of Midwestern places. Um, yeah, they were skewing heavy on these Midwestern places. I guess there's um, there's the Tulane bar. I was um, actually in that place like three weeks ago because one of my buddies was in town for his bachelor party. And, you know, he's a Tulane alum, and his brother's there who's a Tulane alum, and a lot of the guys there were Tulane guys, so we went to the boot. That that was the type of place, like, when I was high, in high school you could get into, you okay. know? Uh, so, like, we were there the other night. I felt I might as well have been friggin' getting around that place with a walker. That's how old I felt. You know, it was yeah. like, you're in there, and it's probably... You were probably in there with seventeen-year-olds, but even the kids who were legitimate college-age kids, oh, it's scary, dude! It's scary. Ugh. Yeah, it's crazy. There's a huge divide between twenty and thirty-five. You yes. know? Yes, and and I and it's uncomfortable the whole time because I'm like, all these kids, they don't want me and these other thirty-something-year-old guys in there. <laughs> right, t- taking up <laughs> floor like space. Just like when old guys would come in the bar when we were in college. You know, and you'd be like, who are these old motherfuckers in here? Totally. I'm like, great, now I'm those old motherfuckers. 
Um, mm. There's a place on the list that I used to go to in D.C. called The Tombs, which is a really – it's a George well, – th- Yeah, I know that place because that's a famous – that's a famous place. Yeah, it's a Georgetown right. bar, but it's yeah. really it's like it's almost like a speakeasy. It's yeah. a, it's around the corner and down the street. You yeah, know, I have he, a friend a good friend who went to Georgetown. I know he's all about the tombs. I know nothing about Mickey's Irish pub in Ames, Iowa. Um Rick's American Cafe and I think I might have been to Rick's American Cafe when I went to that uh, Syracuse, Michigan game. Um, I don't really. I can't. What the hell? I'm gonna say I went there. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Who's gonna call me on that? <laughs> Bourbon Street, in Athens, Georgia. Aquarium in Austin, Texas. Uh, did you make it to the top of the stairs in Blacksburg, Virginia, this weekend by any chance? We did not. Blacksburg isn't too far from Bristol. No, no, it's right there. As a matter of fact, while we were there, they the honorary uh, race marshals were um, uh, was either the coach of of Tennessee or the coach of uh, well, who's Virginia Tech is Beamer still, right? Frank Beamer, yeah, yeah. So it was a Tennessee Volunteers coach. Him and his kids were the. Um, Butch, Butch Jones or yep, something like that. Exactly. Well, they were the honorary race marshals because they are having the world's largest um, college football game at the Bristol Motor Speedway, 150,000 seats. And Wait, that's they're doing that next year? Uh, 2016, they're going to put the, oh, okay. the football field in the middle of the, uh, of the racetrack. Which is only the racetrack's only a half a mile, uh, half a mile around. So that means it's like a quarter mile, yeah. You know, from top to bottom. So the field's gonna, you know, it's gonna sit reasonably well in the middle. Um, even like uh, <clears throat> the bank, the track is banked. So even like the first row is is well above the the infield. So I think it's gonna be a pretty good time. Um, you know, tons of places to you know camp and playing? stuff. Of uh, Virginia Tech, Tennessee. Oh, okay, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, so I, I only knew they were nearby because when I when I moved to Boston, I drove through there. You know, and I think I actually stayed overnight in Bristol, um, and I knew it was right near, you know, right at the border, basically, of Virginia and Tennessee. Yeah, it's like it. it I think Bristol is like there's part of the town. There's Bristol, Virginia, yeah. or Bristol, Virginia, yep. Virginia, and and Bristol. Tennessee, so yep, it was pretty cool. Uh, did you see the other news uh, last week that um, Syracuse and LSU are in talks to play a home and home uh, two game series? I saw that. What um, what's the latest? What's the deal? Well, I haven't heard anything since, but I tend to think if they released it to the press, it means it's just a matter of signing the papers, right? Because I guess the first game would have to be played at LSU in 2015, and the the return game would be in 2017. But here's the kicker: it's not going to be played in the Meadowlands. <laughs> you a marquee out of conference game that they actually plan on playing in the Carrier Dome? Oh, uh, surely you jest. I couldn't believe that, but it was uh, in the writer. It wasn't a quote from. Daryl Gross, of course. It was a quote from uh, one of the the capos or whatever uh, 
what's his name, John Giansanti, I think, yep. uh, an assistant AD. Well, they say they're going to play in the Carry Dome, which thank God, because A, you're going to tell all these people to buy season tickets, yet take the marquee out of conference games four and a half hours south to Jersey every year. Yeah. And another thing is, you know, we don't have that much. We're, we're not at the point where we can just go toe-to-toe with these big schools, especially a school like LSU, which puts the likes of Notre Dame and the Penn State to shame right now. Right. you got to take advantage of all of any advantage you have, and one of those is playing in a small, hot dome stadium. You know? Totally. So it's like, thank God they're going to do that. You know, maybe that means they're getting rid of Gross because that 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 guy's got to go. He's a clown. <laughs> <laughs> but if and when they do play, I I intend to be at both games in Baton Rouge and and definitely up in Syracuse. Yeah, that's a that's appointment. That's appointment football. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it'll be cool. And of course, you know, Girk. Uh, you know, I posted a little news story Facebook about it, and Girk started, uh, he just responded, oi, because us playing real tough football teams to him is the worst thing in the world. <laughs> it really is. Like, he was he was lamenting last year in that Florida State game because guys got hurt and all this. You know, like, crying for the fact that we shouldn't be in the same field. I'm like, this is these are college football players. This isn't. Friggin' JV versus the varsity, man. Right. You know? It's like you can't sit there, oh, okay, uh, we're just going to drop down to Division One AA now. Or we're just going to play uh, friggin' the Naval Academy and Army and whomever every year. You know, Cornell and Colgate. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, when we were there, we were able to go toe-to-toe with, with quality teams and win. I don't see any reason why we should sit there and... And, uh, you know, I don't know. We're dealing with college kids. Uh, his whole concept that we shouldn't be in the same field with Florida State is, that, that's just anathema to me, man. I, I don't like that thinking. I mean, eventually you've got to build a program that can compete with those, you know, exactly. major institutions or major programs. And then you'll eventually be able to, to win one of those. Yes. Exactly. It's it's ridiculous. I I don't think you you friggin' tailor your program to uh to to the idea that we'll never be able to compete with Florida State, you know? Right. Cuz we have been able to compete with schools like that before and we can do it again. And not to go too much into the football right now, but I think Scott Schaefer is going to be the man to do it. So, I don't think he's going to, I, I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe he has two or three good seasons and somebody else calls him and he leaves. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so, going from football to to Tomorrow's the, game. the soup du jour. Tomorrow's game, March Madness. Um, we, we tip off at 145, my time, two, uh, 245 yours, I believe, tentatively. Uh, yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, things could have been much worse for us with a you know what were we two and five over the last seven or something like that. Yeah, um, we ended up getting a three seed in the south. Um, obviously, a two seed 
in the East would have been much more desirable. Uh, I think the East, that bottom half of that bracket is a much easier draw. But yeah. uh, it could be, could have been worse. It could have been worse. So all said and done, I'll take a three uh, in the South. Um, the second round matchup, or technically, I guess what they call the third round matchup now, not certainly not looking ahead of Western Michigan, but uh, you know a three fourteen matchup, um, you know, is something that you know you'd expect chalk to to dominate there. But uh, you'd say that I wouldn't be surprised. I'm gonna say this: I will be disappointed. But I won't be surprised if we lose tomorrow. I expect to win, but I won't be surprised. I I agree a hundred percent. That that third round matchup, the next round, um, is something that that could be problematic as well. The Ohio State yeah. Dayton, um, you know. Yeah, my brackets. I'm picking Dayton to knock off Ohio State, but I think either one of those would be a tough matchup. I think so too. For some reason, Ohio State just plays us really tough. As much as I hate Kraft. You know, I think he's the kind of guard that could give, uh, you know, give Ennis a run run for his money, at least in terms of being able to just, you know, be physical, be in his yeah. face, be obnoxious, just do yeah, enough annoying. to do, you know, what he does, and that's be annoying. And then after that, you're talking about having to run through Kansas and Florida. Um, you know, if you know if we make it to the second to the second weekend into the Sweet Sixteen, but. What team's going to show up? You know, yeah. That's the question: Is is Cooney going to have a shot tomorrow? Is the is the zone going to be able to play the way it plays when it's really dominating, like last year in the tournament? Uh, you you know, know, it's like we don't know what's going to happen. And right now, I have no feeling for what's going to happen. And that's the thing, in a you know, in a one and done format, um, you know, the two three zone is something that that a lot of teams don't see. I think it's one of the reasons we have, you know, success uh, in tournaments. But, you know, on the other side of the coin, the things that that, that give um, teams fits or that, that spell, you know, a team's demise, um, we aren't executing right now. We're not shooting outside. We're not coming up yep. with big shots. You know, we're not taking care of of um of the defensive glass so it's it's just going to be one of those it's going to be one of those marches man it, it could be really fun or it's going to be really disappointing i don't think it ends up anywhere in the middle yeah the one caveat i saw uh, in regards to western michigan uh note i saw was you know they play in the same conference with eastern michigan who they've played, I think, five times over the past two years. Eastern Michigan is coached by Rob Murphy, who was an assistant at Syracuse before he got that job, and he runs the Syracuse 2-3 zone. Okay. So they are familiar with playing against that style. And, you know, um, in fact, Eastern Michigan has one of our players, uh, a Syracuse transfer on their team. Um, So they might not be as... Naive to the two-three zone as another team, as another other teams may be, you know. Right. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just sitting here freaking myself out about it. But apparently they have a big man who's pretty good. But you know, I hope we go out there and take care of business. And it's going to be very frustrating because I'm going to be sitting there trying to pay attention to it on my computer at work with no volume. You uh. know, which is really going to be miserable. Luckily, I've put in for a couple vacation days on. Uh... 
on Thursday and Friday, so I'll be able to take in the games. Vacation days for your, I have no vacation days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's the opposite of me. I have no work days, so it works yeah, out. You're on permanent vacation. It works out perfectly. But, you know, I filled up my bracket. I've got Syracuse as my champion because, you know, why would you do anything differently? Exactly. Um, the thing I did notice this year about filling out my bracket was um, I paid so much attention to every Syracuse game that I had nothing left in the tank to follow any other aspect of college basketball with the yeah. exception of some of the ACC um, you know, yeah. activities. So I know nothing about apparently Stephen F. Austin is the bell of the ball this year. Um, yeah, you know, as everybody's telling us. San Diego State. Um, you know, people are crazy about Louisville at you know at a number four seed. Kentucky at a number eight seed. People are like, that's the steal of the you know of the of the tournament. You know, walk them through to the to the elite eight. But I have them losing in the first round of K State. Me too. I have no yeah. idea. I have no idea. I know I like Michigan State because I like Michigan State every year. I know I like yeah, Syracuse because it's Syracuse. Um, well, seen... And that's what I say. I know I'm probably going to lose the pool regardless. The only time I ever finished in the money in a pool was in 2003. I finished second. I won about 200 bucks, and the only reason I finished second was because I picked Syracuse to win the whole thing. You were living, you know? you were living in Charlestown, right? Yes, it was the office pool at the law firm. So it was a lot of money. It was a, it was a decent amount for second place. But um, I, I think Syracuse might have been the only team I had correct in the Final Four even. But the <laughs> fact that I had win the whole thing and they won the whole thing, I ended up in second place. So the way I look at it is I'm probably not winning the pool anyway. So I might as well pick Syracuse to win it every year because if and when they do win it again, there's probably a good chance I'm going to be doubly happy. The only problem is playing the Sanders family pool, playing the the sleepy pool. Half of the people in both of those pools are picking Syracuse to win the whole thing always because it's very big Syracuse people. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the 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 blessing and the curse. So yeah, you never like last year that was that was definitely the curse last year. <laughs> it's always fun to see how many people give. Uh, pay homage to to Cuse uh, in those pools. So, well, we'll see what happens, man. It's always a good time of year. Um, this next weekend is, is um, or this weekend starting tomorrow, is, you know, one of the best sporting weekends of the of the year. Four four days of basketball wall-to-wall. So, uh, enjoy it. Hopefully, um, well, you get can to... Can I say once? I think I might have told this story possibly on here before, but I can't mention because it it's always... It's always at this time of year. Um, when my brother Josh and I were in high school, you know, the exam week, the um, third quarter exam week always coincided with the with the first two days of the tournament. And, you know, like in high school, you go take your exam in the morning and you're done by 11 o'clock. Right. And you go home. So every year it was great that exam week fell on that day because you'd be able to sit there and watch all the games all day. Well... It was my, it must, yeah, it had to be my sophomore year because Josh was still in, he was a senior. Um, The NCAA, I believe it is, they backed everything up a week. So now my exam days didn't coincide with with the um, tournament. And um, 
my brother and I were pissed. And I tell my parents, it's like, you got to give us excuses to, to not go to school, you know? And everything went through my mother. And my uh, mother said to my dad, you know, they want to take over today. He's like, sure, let them, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so for that point, you know, we, we, we got to play hooky on those two days. And I did it every, uh, from that year, I did it junior year. And then senior year, I had this English class. You know, we had to write this big term paper, and she's like, you have to be in on this day. If you're not here these two days, you're definitely failing the class. And so basically, I was fucked, and that was the first year and in out of the previous five that I had finally been missed the first two rounds. But it was that, but it was always, you know, it was like Christmas for us, being able to sit home as a as a high school kid and watch basketball all day where everybody else was at school. <laughs> I always Good loved uh, March Madness because Syracuse spring break is always around this time, the St. Patrick's yep. Day. You're either coming back or you're just going to, yep. and then it rolls right into March Madness. And basically from there, senior year, it's all downhill. Yeah. Once you come back from spring break, forget about it. So. This I remember a- coming back from spring break that freshman year, you know, came back. Everybody was coming back that day. The plane came back. And I, right as we came back, that's when that it was the second half of that Arkansas game, the famous Lawrence Moten uh, timeout game. Yep. Yeah. I was like, ah, oh! it was like right after right after I got off the plane. That was that was depressing because we were that close. And Arkansas played for the championship that year. They were the defending champion. What year was that? 94? 95. It was the year UCLA won it. UCLA beat Arkansas in the final. Right. Yep, Arkansas had won the year before. Man, good times. Good Good times, times, man. All right, man, on that note then, um, enjoy your March Madness. Yeah, you too, man. And with uh, apologies to Girk's brother, we'll see you guys next week. Peace, Sanders.